are you still dreaming of Mr. Wright? Or Mrs. Wright? Even if you're married, are you still hoping that your spouse would develop certain characteristics or stop doing certain things? As a young person, if you're single, or even if you're an old person and you're single and you're dating or you hope to be dating, you've got a picture in your mind of that person that you would like to be with. Maybe, maybe you've got a check-off list that you want them to have certain characteristics. You want them maybe to be an outdoors person, patient, maybe good with kids. They need to get along with your mother. <laughs> uh, they need to like sports. They need to be book people. Um, they need to enjoy just sitting in front of the TV and vegetating. All kinds of characteristics that we have of that person that we want them to be. But the question is this. What are you doing to be the person that that person might want to be with? We always think about that person. That person needs to do this. That person needs to measure up. That person needs to kind of improve. But what about that person's expectations of you? What are you doing to work on you? To be the person that would be attractive to that person that you want to be attractive to? Last week, Jim introduced us to the one another commands. And for the next several weeks, we are going to be looking at the one another commandments. Ninety times in the New Testament, God uses the phrase one another. Fifty-nine times of those are instructions, commandments. Fifty-nine times God tells us you need to one another, one another. These are not options. They are commands. Because we, in a community of believers, choose to belong to this community, this part of the body of Christ, we are commanded to one another, one another. It's not an option. I'm going to say that a few times. Did you hear it already? It's not an option. These are not just suggestions. 59 of them, God is telling you need to one another. Somebody once says the primary activity of the early church was one another in one another. The primary activity of the early church was one another in one another. So I'm going to give you a short list of three things of what one another commandments are not. First of all, they're not about the other person. We often put the focus on the other person and the type of person that they ought to be. Or the type of relationship that we want to have with that other person. 
they should do this or they shouldn't do that. They mustn't offend me or they mustn't be angry or easily angered. By the way, a little side note. No one has ever made you angry. All right? All right, let's move on. The one and other commandments are about my responsibility and about what God is calling me to do. It's got nothing to do with the person that I am going to one another. It's about me. It's about you. It's about my heart and my transformation and my need to live out the person that God is equipping me and calling me to be. Second, the one and other commandments are not just about knowledge. Over the next eight weeks or so, you will gain knowledge about the one and other commandments. It's not about knowledge. Because knowledge is just that, it's knowledge. Knowledge is not patient. Knowledge does not love. Knowledge is not long-suffering. Knowledge does not care. Knowledge is just knowledge. And we have to take that knowledge, we have to take the commandments, the one another commandments, and we have to put them into practice. The third thing that the one another commandments are not, it's not about doing church. And Jim has mentioned this a few times, it is about us being the church. There's a huge difference. We often put... We often think that church, we, we just come to church, sit in the pew, and leave. But there's an, a, a, an obligation on us to be the church, to be the body of Christ, to be the ones who will one another, one another. It is about God transforming you into His likeness. And how you are sharing the work that God is doing in you, in community, together. As we one another, one another. 59, one another commandments, describes, that's knowledge. The behavior, that's the prescription that you and I ought to have as we live in community. Arguably, the most significant one another command is to love one another. Twelve times in the New Testament, nine of those times by John, we are told to love one another. A quarter of the one another commandments, God is saying love one another. And on the surface, this seems pretty easy, right? It's easy to love. It's just love. Love one another. Until I have to volunteer with that person. Do I really have to spend three or four hours with them? Loving one another seems quite easy to follow and to obey until he opens his mouth and rubs me the wrong way. And we get into this framework in our mind that loving one another seems easy except for or because of or what if and we start attaching conditions to loving one another. It's not about them. <laughs> it's about me. 
It's about your response to God's command to love one another. But as God always does, He not only calls, He equips, He shows us, He tells us how to do it. Jesus gives us a simple way to love one another. Pastor Chonto, in fact, touched on this a couple of weeks ago. In the first five books of the Bible, there are 613 laws. We call them the laws of Moses. And what the religious leaders did is they took those 613 laws and they developed thousands of oral laws. Literally thousands. For example, there's a law that you need to uh, honor the Sabbath. Don't work on the Sabbath. So the religious leaders would get together and say, well, how do we not break this commandment? And then they added all kinds of things. Well, you can carry one book on the Sabbath, but you can carry two. You can walk this distance, but you can't walk further. You can cook on the Sabbath only if you don't create energy. How do you figure that out? Leave your stove on all night? And so there's thousands of oral laws. And when we read in the New Testament the weight of the burden of the law, we can understand the, the, the oppression that the, religious, the Jews were feeling. So there's thousands of oral laws coming from 613 written laws, summarized in 10 commandments, and then one day Jesus was asked, which is the greatest? It's a simple question. Which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 6, love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your heart. And then he read or quoted from Leviticus 19, verse 18. He said, the second one is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. All of the do's and don'ts in Judaism, all of the rituals and the traditions and the laws, Jesus summarized into just two. Love God and love your neighbor. But Jesus didn't stop there. The last night that Jesus had with his disciples before the crucifixion, he's given them instructions, his, his, his last instructions before he goes to the cross. And he tells them, John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you. I wonder what the disciples were thinking. Don't we have enough? Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. That is so simple. I think us teachers and preachers and theologians kind of complicate that and mess it all up. Just love one another. Jesus takes the thousands of hours that he spent with his disciples. Thousands of pages of scripture. Thousands of oral laws and written laws. And essentially he reduces it to just one. Love one another as I have loved you. 
Do you think we would get out of trouble more often if we practice that? Or avoid trouble? Do you think the atmosphere in your home might change if you truly loved one another as Jesus has loved you? Do you think things would improve? And I think we've got a pretty cool thing going on here. But do you think even the atmosphere in this church would improve if we truly loved one another as Jesus has loved me and you? Would the atmosphere in your office improve if you loved that boss, that customer, as Jesus has loved you? Jesus didn't just tell us to love one another. He told us how to love one another. He showed us how to love one another. So let's hear from his own words, from his own actions. To the woman caught in adultery, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. But the religious leaders say, no, the law requires that she be stoned. Jesus says, go. I do not condemn you. He didn't give her a pass on her sin. He loved her. In the last moments of Jesus' life, for those who nailed Jesus to the cross, Jesus says, forgive them. How do you think his mother felt when he heard when she heard Jesus say, ask God the Father to forgive those who had nailed her son to the cross. Just a few comments from the Sermon on the Mount. Be humble, merciful, peacemaker. Let your light shine. If you know someone has something against you, go to that person and be reconciled. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do to others as you would want them to do to you. Simply put, love one another as I have loved you. The love that Jesus practiced in his life, the love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross, the love that Jesus brought to fulfillment in the resurrection, Jesus now says, now you love one another just like that. But we know this, right? This isn't anything new. You've heard this before over and over and over again. <laughs> we, can, we can fill heads with knowledge. We can post people all around this building to serve. We can fill this room with events. We can clap and cheer and whistle during worship. And none of that impresses God. None of that makes a difference for Christ if we're not loving as He has loved us. All of the above without love is just a dong and a symbol. First John, I mean First Corinthians 13. That's all it is. It's just noise. It's just a position. It's just knowledge. If we don't love as He has loved us. 
So this begs the question, what is love? Well, love isn't a feeling. It's not about being hooked on a feeling. It's not about silly little love songs. It's not about wild thing. You make my heart sing. You remember that song, don't you? Wild thing? I think I love you. But I want to know for sure. Come on, hold me tight. I love you. Let me say something to the young ladies in the room. Don't you ever, don't you ever buy into a guy's idea that the only way that you can prove your love for him is through some physical contact. We don't live like that. We don't practice that. Or do we? Have we unconsciously incorporated that philosophy into our Christian walk where I will love you if you don't tick me off I will love you if you stop doing that I have loved you enough and you haven't returned that love so I'm going to cut you off I'm not going to forgive you anymore because you've hurt me too much and we've taken this unconditional requirement for loving one another and we've put conditions to it. We know better than the togs. You know the togs, right? They sang that song. <laughs> there are three words commonly used in the New Testament for love. Philos, eros, and agape. Philos, friendship, love, eros, physical attraction, or love between a man and a woman, and agape is unconditional love. The, the concept of agape love is almost non-existent until the New Testament. A few occasions in the Old Testament, it is all over the New Testament. There are some who say that we cannot agape, we cannot love unconditionally, that's God's love for us, and they're wrong. Because in John 13, 34, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you agape one another, as I agape you, as I love you unconditionally. Dr. Scott Peck says, Genuine love is volitional rather than emotional. The person who truly loves does so because of a decision to love. This person has made a commitment to be loving whether or not the loving feeling is present. True love is not a feeling by which we are overwhelmed. It is a committed, thoughtful decision. So let's go back to 1 John chapter 4 in our last 10 minutes or so. There are six verses in this passage. Three times we are commanded to love one another. Thirteen times the word love is used. All thirteen times it is agape or a form of agape. Over and over and over again, God is telling us, love one another 
unconditionally as I have loved you. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. John is not saying that if you love someone, you are automatically a Christian. John isn't sharing some religious pluralistic idea. John is saying that if you're a Christian, you have no choice but to obey the commandment to love. The true essence of a follower of Jesus is that they love as Jesus has loved. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. This, this concept of God is love is, was foreign in the ancient world. Ancient gods were ruthless, revengeful, lustful, and God says, I am love. The, the idea of God as love suggests boundless, unlimited. There's a technical word for this. It's called omna benevolence. God is all loving, unceasing. And his fountain of love that never ends, that is poured into us, he now wants that to pour into other people. There are times when this concept of God as love is hard to fathom because it causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends his rain on the just and the unjust. And then what does God do to the evil and the unjust? He says, come follow me. He says, I do not condemn you. He says, I forgive you. In our nature, we want punishment. We want the, the playing field to be leveled. We want to get our own back. We want, to, we want justice. But God is love. We might say, God, but you don't know what they did to me. And God says, yes, I know exactly what they do to you, and that's why I'm telling you to love them as I have loved you. Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. The New International Version says this is how God showed his love among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. The fullest expression of God's love for us is that he stepped into our world, he took on our form, he walked our streets, he took our abuse, he endured our scorn, he subjected himself to our denials, and then at the end of his life he prayed, and I'm paraphrasing, he prayed, Father, bearing in mind the wickedness that they have displayed to you and to me, do you still want me to die for them? And God said, yes. And he did. You and I were all sentenced to death. And Jesus came and took the sentence. That is love. Verse 10, in this is love. Not that we have loved, but that 
he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, there's a nice big word, be the propitiation for our sins. Romans 5.8, for God, for, for, for Christ died for us before we were sinners, before we, Christ died for us as sinners, while we were still sinners, before we even thought about committing our lives to him. He died for us. Not because we were good, but because He loved us. And then this word propitiation, it's a word that suggests a need for justice. In God's character, His character required justice. But His character also is a character of love. God loved us, but there had to be justice for the sins that we had committed and so God, in His love, in the need for justice, in the need for propitiation, God said, my son will pay it. Therefore, I'm adding a therefore to verse 11. Therefore, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God so loved us, not based on another one's worth, not based on my worth, not based on whether they will love me back in return. If God has loved us, we ought to love one another. The word ought there could, could cause us to get into some mental um, difficulty. Because we believe that we cannot earn God's grace. We cannot earn God's favor. It is unconditional. But yet this word, ophelo, in the Greek, ought, has this idea of you owe. It's a debt that we have to pay. It's an obligation. It's not earning the love of God, but when God loves us, Christ died for us, God saved us. He set us free. Now there is this ought, this obligation, this requirement that we now love one another. If God has loved us, we also ought to love one another. As I said earlier, it is not an option. And then verse 12 no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. The world cannot see God Himself, but they can see God in you. The world cannot hear God Himself, but they can hear God in you. The world cannot touch God physically, but they can touch God in you. A world that craves a loving touch, a genuine loving touch, can be touched by God in you. And because God abides in you, abides in you and because you will love unconditionally just as He has loved you, His love will be perfected in you. This word perfected, we struggle with it. But the word perfected has this idea of completion of bringing full circle. It doesn't mean that we behave per perfectly. 
It means that we are perfectly doing what God set out to do. And God loves us. And we receive that love. But it is the, the, the purpose of that love now is, is imperfected if it stays with us. God says you have to now love one another. And the Greek word here is teleo, which means it comes full circle. So God loves us, and we love one another. And, and what is it that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? And then that person will give glory to God. And God's love is then perfected. Is it stalling somewhere in your life? Is God's love in you imperfect? Remember, we're not talking about perfect behavior. We're talking about my need, my ought, my responsibility to love one another, to complete, to bring, per to, bring to, to perfection God's love. Is it stuck somewhere because of that person? Is it stuck somewhere because a family member did your father out of a deal and you can't get over that? And God's love is not perfected in you. Is it stuck because you don't know the love of Christ as you ought to? Is it stuck because you haven't really experienced the liberating love of Christ? God wants to perfect His love in you. And He can. It's not an option. It's possible. But I think in many of us, it, it gets stuck. So I want to close this with an illustration. A well-known friend of Jesus, one of his closest, tended to be a big mouth, always opening his mouth, kind of a braggart maybe. I'll never leave you. I'll never deny you. Willing to take up arms, Lord, we'll, we'll, we'll fight for you. And then, in one of Jesus' darkest moments, that friend, I'm going to use a modern-day expression, stab Jesus in the back. <laughs> he was asked simply, don't you know him? No, I don't know him. I don't know him. <laughs> over and over, this friend of Jesus said, I don't know him. Has someone done something like that to you that you can't get over? Lied about you, slandered you, denied you, walked out on you, abandoned you? A few weeks later, Jesus was on a beach and invited this friend. His name was Peter. Invited this friend to sit with him. In fact, they went for a little walk. And Jesus said, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. What Jesus was saying, Peter, I want you to lead what I've left leaving behind. And our response is, really? <laughs> Shouldn't we give him a year to prove himself? 
You want to put him in leadership? After he did that to you? Jesus says, yes. Feed my sheep. And friends, Jesus is saying the same thing to you. After all that we have done, that thing you remember you did last week that you may be not proud of, the way that you spoke to that subordinate at work two weeks ago, that thing you lied about last month, Jesus is telling you, feed my sheep. Love them. Love them as I have loved you. What it really comes down to is a transformation of heart. How's your heart this morning? Are you, are you free to love? Or is there a hindrance? And if there is a hindrance, allow God to deal with it. Whatever it is. Let's pray. Father, none of us, none of us want to willfully be in the way of your love. But Father, you have chosen not to walk these streets in a physical body anymore. As God in the flesh, you have chosen, Lord, not to, not to boom out your messages. You have chosen, Lord, to spread your love in this world through me and through everyone sitting in this room. And on the one hand, we, we gladly accept it and embrace it and we are humbled. But yet on the other hand, Lord, it frightens us because we're imperfect people and we've got our baggage and we've got our stuff. But that's okay with you. Because just as we attempt to obey you even if we fumble through it at first you take that Lord and you use it and you, and you mold it and you take our baggage and our issues and you deal with them and you set us free so that we can love without reservation oh Lord bring us to that point I pray Bring us to that point. That we would love without reservation. That we would love unconditionally. Just as you have loved us. There are prayer partners waiting to pray with you. On your left. If you would like to just go and share with them. Respond to God and come pray by yourself on the right if you want to. Whatever's hindering you hindering you from truly loving as Jesus has loved you. Allow God to deal with it this morning. Let's stand and sing as the worship team leads us.
Next Saturday, come to the seminar. The seminar will deal with some of the stuff that you might be struggling with now to, to liberate you to one another, one another. But it's about you. It's not about church. It's not about out there. It's about you. So come next uh, Saturday. Secondly, the Ott family are going to be in the cafe. Uh, this was Michael's last week at the church as a staff member. It's not his last week at the church. And so it's not a saying goodbye to him. It's just a celebrating and thanking him for, I think, eight years of service at Pathway Church. So stop by there, write a little card and just um, make a little note. Um, and if you haven't got time to stand and visit, at least just go and shake his hand. I'm sure he'll appreciate that. Let's pray. Father, we have decided to follow you, and salvation is free, but discipleship is not. We also decide, Lord, to love one another as you have loved us. Continue to show us how to do that to the best of our ability as you strengthen us. Go with us now, Lord, we pray. May the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the love of Jesus, rest on all of us, in Jesus' name. Amen.